Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. You're listening to the Laugh Button Podcast on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com. Hey, we're back for another episode of the Laugh Button Podcast. My name is Matt Kleinschmidt. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Laugh Button. And with me today, Bram Teitelman, editor-in-chief of MetalInsider.net. Hello, everyone out there in podcast <laughs> land. Bram is filling in for Mark this week, as he usually does when Mark is on sabbatical. Yes, and like he always says about his last name, that's unfortunate. Yeah, he does. I'm going to do what I can to fill in a semen. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bram Titleman. That's unfortunate. That's yes. Okay. Yes. Good. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, yeah. So, the Left One Podcast here on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com. Check us out on the laughbutton.com or any of the socials you can type in at the Laugh Button. Bram. Hello. What's up, buddy? Uh, just hanging out. You know who our guest is this week? I do. Who is not it? know who your guest is this weekend. <laughs> I see how you played that. Last time we, well, first of all, our guest, Joe List. Super psyched about Joe List. He's uh, he's a co-host of a podcast called Tuesdays with Stories with his buddy, Mark Norman. Uh, he's a friend of ours. We've known him for a long time. Actually, I think I want to say we first met him by doing the podcast with Bobby Kelly, his YKWD podcast. Joe is, uh, Joe's the shit. He put out an album uh, earlier this year on Comedy Central Records. He's touring the world, opening for Louis C.K. Um, yeah, life's good for Joe. Sure. Well, yeah. it was until he did our podcast. <laughs> exactly. Our podcast marked the decline of the career. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I, I'm not <laughs> saying that. The last time I co-hosted, Norman Lear was on. So <laughs> I, he could be the next Norman Lear. Let's check back in about 60 years and see what he's up to. <laughs> okay. That's what we'll do then. So yeah, so Joe's our guest, and uh, we have that interview coming up with Joe in a little bit. But uh, meanwhile, I'm here with my buddy Bram. It is uh, it is a Thursday at the time of you guys are reading this, uh, listening to this podcast, and the world is still floating in rotation around uh, on its axis. Surprisingly enough, it seems like every time we turn around, some shit's going down somewhere, in politics at least. I, I saw something on, on Facebook about politics this week. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, Facebook I'm not going to get politics? into the details, but uh, politics, really? people are talking about politics. Really? Like, like more than once? Uh, two, like at least two people on my feed are talking about like... Uh, no shit. Yeah, it's crazy. And they're, are they talking civil, civilly about it? Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, if you if you agree with them, yes, it's very simple. If not, if you, if you're if you disagree, disagree, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird time out there. It's a weird time. I see. Uh, I'll, I'll actually have to cite uh, comedian Owen Benjamin with this. Is just that uh, I saw him uh, make a post about it recently, and it's basically like politicians, uh, comedians have sort of in a weird way become political and started like you know drawing lines in the stand and, and analyzing policy and and uh, politicians have started like cracking wise and, and taking jokes so it's like we need to do a 180 on this too and just kind of bring it back to what people know I <laughs> guess it kind of makes sense because you couldn't make up what happened in the past few months well you can't like it's, yeah. it's almost something that if it was a 
plot in a movie, you'd be like, that's too far-fetched. <laughs> it is, but I, th- I think at the same time, like, there's musical institutions, I mean, there's comedy institutions out there that they make fun of uh, things, daily shows, your your Saturday Lives. I just feel like there's more of that now. Like, it's like everyone needs to have a political opinion for a late-night show or something like that. And You know, I mean, obviously, some people like the idea, and other people are like, I'm like, come on, just get back to entertaining me. Well, I think everyone was saying, oh, well, you know, at least it'll be good for music. Like, you know, I run Metal Insiders. Everyone's like, oh, there's going to be a good, like, like punk a, lot rock of, a lot of punk rock and, and yeah. hardcore coming out. And it's also a great time for comedy because there's so much to make it, fun of. It is. It really is. And I, and it actually kind of jumps into one of the first things I want to talk about is Neil Brennan's appearance on The Daily Show this week. Neil Brennan uh, just released his Netflix special, Three Mics, which is basically three different microphones, hence the name, Three Mics. Oh, I thought there might be three different people named Michael. No. Like no. Jackson and <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's Michael Jackson, Michael Winslow, and, and Michael McDonald. And Michael McDonald. <laughs> I would watch that special. I actually would watch that too. I want to watch his as well, but <laughs> So yeah, so it's three mics and each mic is a different representation of his personality. Basically. So he went on to the Daily Show to talk about this, but he actually did like almost like a pre almost like a correspondence segment, more so than just like, hey, I'm Neil Brennan, I'm going to do an interview. And he talked about basically our president Donald Trump. And he basically talked about how, you know, basically how they say everyone's, how how they say liberals are snowflakes and and all that kind of stuff. And he just basically got through it back and like, you're the most thin skinned person of all. But one of the the one of the, the the takeaways I took from this was more, he was just kind of like, because there is this line with an SNL writer recently getting fired for a tweet about Donald Trump's uh, son Barron, and there is this kind of this question going out of like where is the line drawn between all that kind of stuff? Some comedians are very much like I don't want people censoring my speech, so fuck them for censoring someone else's speech. There's a great Patrice O'Neill line once where he's like, I don't want people to stop talking about racism in America because I want to be racist sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that... <laughs> I think the new goal for a comedian would be to piss off Donald Trump. <laughs> SNL's doing it every week. They are, but 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 the point I'm trying to make about what Neil brought up in this whole thing is Neil basically said, we don't need to make fun of Barron Trump because we have Eric Trump. And then he also said, like, why is Donald surprised that an institution like SNL, which historically has mocked presidents since its inception, why are they surprised that why is he surprised that he watches it one week? They make fun of him, he hates it, and then he tunes in the next week to see it again. It's it's Neil Brennan's take on it, it's one of the most succinct takes on the whole thing I've ever seen. And like only a comedian could make those observations, make them funny, and like relay them how they do, because all comedians' job is to speak properly. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I guess if uh, Joe Sixpack, Democrat, liberal, libtard, cuck guy makes that <laughs> comment, everyone's yeah, everyone on the right side's going to hate him. But if a comedian can do it, make people laugh, yeah. and and get in and get out, and actually kind of make you think while you're mm-hmm. laughing, that's one of the main goals of comedy. But it's like always shine a light it's, on it's always, yeah, it's always been a comedian's job to the jester to mock the king. The jester's usually been always the one that's been able to mock the king. Anyone else mock the king, you catch shit. The point I'm trying to make though is. 
I don't know if that speech, if that SJW social justice warrior speech that a lot of comedians have kind of fallen into and, you know, uh, six months ago, it wasn't political. It was rape jokes. And six months before that, it was something else. And there's, there's, there's always this overturning, hey, we're going to be angry at this thing for this period of time. I, I mean, think we got community. I think we have at least until the impeachment to, <laughs> <laughs> for it to be about Trump. Well, I think the point I'm trying to make in, in, the, in this whole thing is like, you know, Comedians, it's their job to analyze us to make fun of it, but you gotta be fucking funny about this shit. It can't just be a monologue saying, I hate guns, and therefore I'm pro gun control. It's gotta be fucking funny about sure. it. Like, that's why I think Jim Jeffries' bit about gun control resonated so far and deep in the internet, because it was fucking funny. He wasn't up there saying, I'm, not, I'm against gun control and you should be too, or I'm for gun control and you should be too. He was saying, like, here's a funniest shit scenario about what happened to me. Or, and he relates it to it. And I think that's the ultimate job of the comedian is to make me fucking laugh. And I think that's the ultimate job of the comedian is that you can't judge a comedian the same way you judge a politician. And those lines have kind of like crossed. Like you're ju- like these guys, their only job is to make fun of you. SNL, I don't agree with them firing their one writer because they cracked a joke at Baron Trump. Again, not because I think you should make fun of kids. I don't think that the, the political kids joke is... I do it all the time. Yeah, I know, but... I don't really make fun <laughs> of kids all the time. No, no, the point I'm trying to make, though, is like, yes, I understand that mocking Baron Trump is not the, the best thing of all. Have, have political children been mocked in the past? Absolutely. But SNL, as an institution that literally does nothing but take shots at politicians all day long, it's like, well, that's another shot you can take at a politician. And it was a good joke. It wasn't the writer saying, oh, this kid's just a stupid little kid. He, he looks funny, goofy, ha, ha, ha. It was an actual good joke that had a nice twist to it. And I applaud guys like Dan Harmon, who basically reached out to that that comedian and said, hey, I'll give you a job because you got fired from SNL. Yeah, I mean, it was an aside, and uh, the comedian was not tweeting on behalf of SNL. No, they weren't. Obviously, it turns into that and gets blown out of proportion, and of course, it reflects badly upon SNL. Well, I just think, but I think that SJW stuff is, first of all, I don't think it helps the cause. And and there's actual, like, there's actual proof. I don't want to say proof, but there's actually a lot of conversation about and studies being performed about it. Joe Rogan had on his podcast a phenomenal guy, a professor from Windsor, Ontario, who talks about how SJW and uh, you know safe space type of speech on college campuses is actually doing more harm than good. And it's kind of creating this whole Marxist kind of thing where it wasn't initially intended, but that's kind of what's happening. And... A lot of people out there think talk like that, the I'm offended talk, therefore that thing can't exist, is kind of a lot. A lot of people pull that as the reason as well. Well, that's why people got mad and, and elected the president. And Bill Maher on his most recent special said, or his most recent uh, real time, said literally like liberals, when you're sitting there worried about your virgin ears, you got fucked in the ass, which I think is the most <laughs> perfect way of putting this whole thing. Like, it's like, oh my God. It's like, I can't think of a better way to put it. First of all, funny as shit. Second of all, that's exactly what happened is why everyone was kind of tiptoeing, worried about being offended or, uh, or, or being offensive and looking for like, you know, safe spaces. They literally kind of let a madman talk his way into the White House. That was Bill Maher's whole take on the whole situation. Yeah. So, I And mean, then you have like, 
you know, if I can steer this yeah. subject to another yeah. topic, yeah, sure, uh, sure. you know, you have Bill Burr talking about yeah. why, why <laughs> Hillary lost. Yeah. Yeah. On the, on Conan the other, yeah. very recently, he's like, he basically is like, you know, he, he basically says that Trump didn't win. Hillary lost it. He basically is talking about like how insane a person are you to be able to lose this in, in this bad way. And I think it was funny. And he talks about, and then his take on the protest was hilarious. I don't know if you heard that, but he basically was like, the protests were great. The, he was talking about the women's rights protest. Yeah. He says, they were great for the first 10 minutes and then it was just a bunch of people standing out in the rain agreeing with each other. What do we want? Equality. What do we want it now? It's like, okay, we agree. Can we get the fuck out of the rain? And that's what I love about Bill Burr. I love this about Bill Burr is he always, he always hits like the nail on the head and Patrice O'Neill was really great about this too is every time something big happens in pop culture or politics or whatever it is, it's like, I can't wait to hear what Bill Burr's take is on it because I know it's going to be fucking hilarious, which is job number one. And I know it's going to hit the nail on the head and it's going to be an, a point of view that I agree with and I didn't realize I even agreed with because it's just like, oh my gosh, I totally agree with that. I don't even necessarily always agree with what he says, yeah. but he's so relatable and kind of just straight, straight shooter. You know, I can see why he's as popular as he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely... He's, like, he's he's kind of become one of the comedians that people that don't even like comedy like as yeah. comedians. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also... I think it's also because his take on... His social take is, is often different and unique. And um, I listened to Joe DeRosa's new special, which is premiering this week, too. And Joe DeRosa has a little bit of that George Carlin-y Bill Hicks in this special where he's just like, listen, shit sucks. It sucks on, it sucks on both sides. Why can't we acknowledge it that shit sucks? And let's go fucking just say the shit sucks and just like live our lives. And uh, Carlin was really great at that. Bill Hicks was really great at that stuff. And I feel like in times of when this shit gets weird, comedians like that are needed and they're necessary. And it's so funny that Bill Hicks has been dead for all these years, as has Bill, uh, uh, Bill Carlin, George Carlin. Bill Cosby. <laughs> but their stuff is still so relatable. It's the same social issues we're talking about 20, 30 years ago that were happening today. It's unbelievable. It just, yeah, but wouldn't it be great to hear what Carlin and Hicks had to say dude, about Trump? I would love to hear what Bill Hicks oh, had to man. say about Trump. I would love to hear what George Carlin had to say about Trump. I would love to hear what Patrice O'Neill would have to say about Trump. Just because those guys always have, like I said before, opinions that like I didn't realize that I had, and I either agree or disagree, but I'm like, oh, I fucking, that's funny as shit. And uh, it's really unfortunate, but I do think there is a mantle of guys picking that up and running with it. And I, Bill Burr is front and foremost in that, too. I think Bill Burr is like, you know, his take on stuff is just so fucking great sometimes. I love it. I love it. You should hear Matt Kleinschmidt's take on it. My take on it is always... I, I, I sit right next to the guy. Like right now, <laughs> we're do. sitting across you from each other. Sit, we sit across. This is like our normal it's thing. It's the same thing, except we're a little amplified, and probably a couple more people are hearing we're, us than More than people the are office. going to hear this conversation than normal, and there's not a computer screen on either side just on what's going on. But yeah, I mean, uh, out there, laugh button, I hear this shit all the time every day. You do. So, uh, you do. If, if you enjoy it, then maybe you should come work with us. If not, then, you know. Well, listen, if they don't agree with us, they're probably not listening to this podcast, let's be honest. So I don't know. They want to know what you'll say next. It's, I don't know, dude. I don't know. So, so yeah, so political and politics and comedy are still very much interacting and they're different. You're still, like, folding into each other and they're morphing. I mean, like, you know, another uh, example, John Stewart. 
John Stewart, you know, he appears every once in a while. He he retired and did, you know, and disappeared. And Trevor Noah, I feel like Trevor Noah's really kind of coming into his own on The Daily Show. If you haven't watched it, I, I employ the, our, our listeners, if you haven't watched The Daily Show in a while, definitely check it out. I mean, he had the guy from the ACLU on last night. He had Trayvon Martin's parents on, but then he also had, like, Lawrence Fishburne on there. And, like, just, you know, it's the really interesting people that you want to hear what they have to say about stuff, even if you don't agree with their opinion on whatnot, too. And uh, I feel like Trevor Noah with the recent elections really kind of helped him come into his own. But um, John Stewart, uh, he's been popping up here and there. He sometimes pops up on his, uh, I guess, the sh- current shows of his former correspondents, like Colbert and Samantha B. I don't think he's popped up on John Oliver's show yet, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, well, Oliver's been off since the election. He has, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been off since. Comes the election. back next week. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. But and uh, that'll be uh, that'll definitely be something to listen to. Absolutely. To tune into. Oh, completely, totally. Um, so yeah, so he, sh- he stopped on Colbert this week, and he basically like you know in his very funny John Stewart kind of way he um, he broke down the the executive orders that Trump hasn't read yet, and he shows up in this, this gigantically large long tie and uh, a fox on his head, I guess is what it was, like, yeah. a, like a fox would like stole, and so you know I just I don't know like I I, I miss John Stewart at times like this, I really do. There was a lot of thought pieces written, like at the time of the elect, the peak election season of like, where's John Stewart? Would would this have played out? This election played out this way had John Stewart been there to talk about this? And there's a lot of coulda, shoulda, woulda. Just like there's uh, a lot. Of yes, people. it would have. I think so too. I mean, like John Stewart, though great and wields terrific power in the political space. I feel like. It's not. It doesn't live and die by his one by his one hand. But at the same time, like John Stewart, uh, he he's a very comforting person when he talks about stuff. So it's either he's either super mad or he's super comforting because of stuff. But he's been actually very interesting. His response to this election, I actually didn't. It, I kind of expected his response, but at the same time, it was a little different too. Where his response is like, "Listen, we're not fundamentally different uh, the day before the election than we were the day after the election." Uh, people that voted for against your policy aren't automatically racist, uh, you know, uh, labeled as racist and xenophobic and all that kind of stuff. And he's absolutely right. And his whole thing is like, you need to, you. It wasn't a message of unity, but it was a message of the Republicans reap what they sow. They're going to have to have this come to Jesus moment with Trump, and the Democrats are going to have to really kind of like. Uh, mobilize. mobilize its base again because they really did leave some people high and dry. So John Stewart's take on it was actually very good, but it's just good to see him back. It I is. Mean, re- it's great he, to see him back. He really was kind of America's liberal voice. He was. He was but, for years, but, and yeah. he went away. And to have him back is kind of comforting. It was. It was a little bit of comfort. I, I also think that like uh, there was a great. Uh, and and I tend to do this when I when I when I kind of man this podcast is tell people how great other podcasts are because I listen to a ton of podcasts, but I actually love that. I love being a fan of podcasts, and hopefully people that listen to our podcast or listen to thirty other podcasts too. But um, it was a it was a podcast from Malcolm Gladwell's podcast called Revisionist History sure. about satire. Oh yeah, it was a great one. I heard great that. episode, I and he basically talks about Stephen Colbert was so good at satire that the right watched him. And the left watched him, and they both kind of took different things out of it. They both thought they were making fun they of both the thought, Yeah, exactly. And because Stephen Colbert was so good at it as his character that it really didn't sway people's opinion because 
because his character walked such a middle line, people took out of it what it was a reflection of their own thing. So his whole article is like, well, his whole basic, his whole argument for his thesis is basically Stephen Colbert was so good at his job, he didn't change anything politically, which I think is actually an interesting way of looking at it. And I might agree with that. That same episode said that SNL kind of lost some of its satirical power when Sarah Palin showed up alongside yeah. Tina Fey. Yeah, yeah. Was that recorded? Like, was that recorded before Trump went on SNL? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I, oh so yes, it I, was. Yes. I it, mean, so, uh, Revisionist history was like. Little, I want to say it was this past spring, maybe about a year ago. Maybe Trump spring, was on by then. Summer. But, I guess Trump was on there by then. By then, I don't know. But the point is, it's been really interesting to see them kind of just grin and bear it when Trump was on and sort of be like, yeah. And ever since then, they've just been yeah, not even that brutal, not even like harder on him than they've been on any other president. Well, I, I do think that the, he's right with that. Like, once you kind of bring the person you're mocking onto your show, it does lose some of its power. But it also is a show that's kind of based on celebrity. And if you're mocking celebrities, at some point, those celebrities need to make a, a pit stop. I don't think it really, I don't think it's even political. I think with anything, like, for example, um, when. Uh, Andy Samberg did Mark Wahlberg Talks to Animals, and he would do it in a funny, funny sketch. Two or three sketches later of that same bit, Mark Wahlberg himself shows up sure. and does it. It's like, okay, did you lose some power? But there also is a history of that. When Jim Brewer used to do the Joe Pesci show, and uh, eventually Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro showed up on that show. So it's not like this is a new thing for SNL. They've been doing this for a long time. It's true. Yeah. But Joe Pesci didn't run for office. This is true. They didn't run for public office. That is the big difference. Is is when you're a celebrity and you're an entertainer, your only job is to be a celebrity and entertainer. It's not the right policy and dictate futures. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, a couple other really big news items that happened this week. Uh, as I mentioned before, Bill Burr's special came out this week. Watch it. Bill Burr's a fucking master at, at life. Uh, master at comedy. He is. Joe DeRosa's new special actually premieres on Comedy Central this weekend. I actually got on the phone with Joe DeRosa earlier this week, and we talked. We caught up about some life, and then we, we talked about the new special a bit, too. So keep an eye out for that interview on thelaughbutton.com. A couple shows got renewed this week. Uh, CISO renewed Wyatt Snack's Night Train for a second season so that's going to start up soon it's taping this spring actually in February a little bit earlier than spring uh, at Littlefield which is its home base over in Brooklyn Night Train is one of those shows it's, a, it's one of those great shows you got to see because it's always wide snack it's a good mix of like comedians you know comedians you don't know and like funny sketches involved in it too I saw like my when I went there it was like Michelle Buteau H. John Benjamin was there hmm. uh, Joe Firestone who it was the first time I had seen her and I fucking loved her so she's great yeah if you haven't seen Joe Firestone's uh, episode of Night Train it's on CISO season one but get that but the season two uh, is taping in February and season one came out in J uh, June 2016 so I'm assuming season two will probably be around the same time that's renewed uh also renewed was the uh, the Good Place. Are you a fan of this sitcom? Have you seen this? Uh, I've not actually. It's the new Dan Schur, uh, uh sitcom on NBC. Dan Schur did Parks and Rec. He was part of The Office. Uh, on, and basically the entire Parks and Rec, not the entire Parks and Rec crew, but like a lot of the Parks and Rec crew, kind of like hmm. that created that created the Good Place. And there was a really great twist at the end of the season, which you know I'm not going to spoil for people that haven't watched it yet. But it's uh, basically the whole idea behind it. It's our main characters are Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell wakes up, and it's basically her in the afterlife. And Ted Danson's kind of like the creator of the world in which she lives in in the afterlife. And she 
walks through it and you know she finds her soulmate and there's everyone gets paired up with their soulmate in the afterlife and all that kind of stuff hmm. and there and, but it slowly but surely starts to like fall apart and they're trying to figure out why and mainly it's because Kristen Bell doesn't belong there and then other people realize they don't belong there and then like it kind of descends into like this really great twist uh, how so yeah. did I how did I miss that I don't know but it's only like 13 episodes definitely I'm, it's on it it's on NBC I'm sure you can go watch it on Hulu I'm sure you can go watch it on any streaming service and catch up. actually speaking of CISO since CISO is an NBC property I bet you can go get episodes of it on CISO I'm sure um, but definitely go watch it it's, it's, it's a good one um, and then, you know, some big stuff's premiering this week. There's two big premieres happening this week as far as TV. There's the TV show uh, Powerless, yep. which, you know, it's Danny Putty, Ron Funches, uh, Vanessa Hudgens is the main character, and it's basically kind of set in the DC universe. It's an NBC show, but no, no one's a superpower. But, like, they're kind of... The original pitch of the show was that they're the insurance agency that insures things and cleans up after like these superheroes fight in cities and they have to clean up the mess. Yeah. Great premise. But now it's kind of morphed more in towards like an office comedy where their job is to create things that keep people safe. Like, you know... Uh, Building a wall to keep out Mexican <laughs> immigrants? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, um, an executive order banning flight up... <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, man, we, I just keep bringing know, it back to I politics. Know. You keep bringing it back to politics. <laughs> but uh, but basically, they're it's like uh, shrapnel-proof uh, umbrellas. And, sure, yeah. You know, so when you know, a part of a building falls down, it won't crush you under the weight. But um, it to be kind of became this 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 uh, office company. I have only seen previews of it, but it really reminds me of this old sitcom called Better Off Ted. I don't know if you remember Better Off Ted. I do. It lasted one, maybe two seasons, but it came on ABC right after Arrested Development. It was kind of like, I think, I want to say Mitch Hurwitz from Arrested Development was part of, associated with Better Off Ted in some way. So Arrested I feel- Development was on Fox. Yes, I know, but this went to ABC. Oh, ABC, yeah, all right, yeah. all right. So basically you would turn off Arrested Development, then no, no, flip no. over Arrested Development ABC. ended. Yep. The series ended. And then right. the guys that were in some way associated with Arrested Development had Better Off Ted greenlit at ABC. Completely different. Yes, it wasn't the same time. It was just after the run of that se- that series. But it was only on for one series. But it was a really really funny show, and I feel like Powerless is kind of in that vein. And Better Off Ted was just a little bit before its time, as was Arrested Development. So I think that this might actually like work. And it's an NBC show. And also premiering this year, this week on CBS is our buddy Jermaine Fowler. His CBS show, Superior Donuts, is premiering. Super excited for this because Jermaine Fowler has been working very hard on this. And it's Jermaine and Judd Hirsch are the main two characters. Katie Seagal, a.k.a. Peggy Bundy, a.k.a. Gemma from the Sons Gemma. of Anarchy. Yeah, she's, uh, she plays a cop in this one. So the idea behind it is like Judd Hirsch uh, runs a donut shop. And, you know, in the donut shop, he's very old school and, old and set in his ways. And he hires a new young kid, a.k.a. Jermaine Fowler. And Jermaine Fowler tries to pull the donut shop into uh, the modern generation. You know, get it, uh, get up on social media and all that kind of stuff, too. But uh, Jermaine Fowler, I'm super psyched for him. When we had him on the podcast a couple of episodes back, but a couple of episodes, I mean, he might have been like episode like 60 or so. Right. Um, he talked about getting... Uh, getting into a working relationship with CBS, and they originally greenlit a show based on loosely based on his life. That didn't, unfortunately, didn't go through. But this was they wanted to work with him so much they kind of put together this whole show around him too. So, so what you're saying is, uh, do not miss it. <sighs> yeah, I went there. Uh, yeah, you did. All right, I think 
I don't I don't want to continue anymore. So we're gonna we got a good run. We're gonna pitch we're gonna pitch this on over to our, our interview with Joe List because Bran ruined the party. Uh, Thanks for having me. <laughs> waka waka. Uh, so let's, let's let's kick it over to Joe List before uh, before it gets a little bit any more punny up in here. So here it is our interview with Joe List. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. So, so you went to the New York Film Academy. I did, uh, for acting. For acting. And, and, and for everyone listening to this, the other voice that's not mine is that of Joe Lists. Hello, everybody. Um, unless you're doing a spot-on impression, and I don't know what your real name is, but you also look like him. So I'm going to assume the man I let into my apartment is the actual Joe List. This is me. I'll show you my penis if I have to. It's, it's <laughs> me. It's the only true way to identify me. Now, I, you know, without going into too much detail, uh, if I say um, that would confirm it, you know, having had maybe seen your penis, I yeah. don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't a, make a lot of people, a lot of people have seen it, and yeah. uh, I'm I've heard about a, it. I've heard yeah. about it. I talk about it a lot. I have a thumbprint in my penis, a permanent. <laughs> I shouldn't have. I'm now just opening filthy here. Could you imagine but, if that's how people unlock their iPhone? Like that was the new upgrade. Yeah, you, the, the iPhone eight is you had to put your dick onto the, the actual whatever scanner they're gonna have on the next one. It would make it harder for like uh, suspicious girlfriends and boyfriends to get in there if you had to put like a labia on there or a, <laughs> you know pee hole. Absolutely. Absolutely. So back to the uh, New York Academy for film. You went for acting. Yeah, this so is. So how did how did this go? What year was this? This is so, back in '03, okay. and um, that's quite some time ago. Yeah, it was 13 years ago now, or 14 years ago. Holy hell! Yeah. Well, September will be 14 years. I went September of '03, and um, yeah, it was one of those. I, I'd already started doing comedy in Boston, but I knew I wanted to do some sort of like I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be Woody Allen. You know, I want to mm-hmm. act and. and do stand-up or whatever. Play saxophone or whatever he does yeah. right on the side. Clarinet, Clarinet, I that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, um, I was just fact-checking. I want to uh, make sure you were a true fan. I am. <laughs> um, so yeah, I signed up for that. And I was like, this will, I'll, I'll live in New York City for a month. It was like a four-week program. I lived there for five weeks. And um, came down here and I had no money. I just I, I saved up enough money to pay for the school. And then my parents just kept sending me money. And they have no money. They're <laughs> They're broke. They're very like blue collar people so i feel terrible because at the time i was 22 so you're not like conscious of um the your damage parents. you're doing yeah I, I, economically so i was like ah, i need more money and i was drinking just furiously at the time too so i'd be like guys i'm out of money again like they had to just keep putting money in there and i was like this is nice and then it's not till i got older and like wiser and more aware of other people's feelings and thoughts that like oh these people don't have any money i'm just taking their money yeah what's the opposite of an addition you put on the house i what's took that? a subtraction <laughs> yeah, i put a subtraction on you, the house so every time you go back and visit you'd be like where's my uh where's my old room yeah what's <laughs> going on here They're like it's in uh the east village in your <laughs> yeah. dumb school that you're never going to use right um uh, but also uh i didn't go to college at all so i feel like they probably saved some amount of money for me right. to go to college and then i never did so and that's something you learned even further down the road Yes. Which you could rebut their yeah. whatever they threw in your face of, hey man, you're draining us. Yeah. You're like, but you know, short term. College is twenty grand a year. 
So that's that's like eighty grand. Where would you have wanted to go to school? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I try to do this as a joke a few times in my act, but it never works. I think people don't know me that well, I guess. But I always I'll go to these college football games. I love college campuses, and I always walk around or go to like a Penn State game, and I'm like, I've screwed. I should have gone to college, but. I got like an 800 on my SATs. It was like a D student, and uh, I failed off the track team at one point. So it's like, I, I make it seem like I could have just gone to you know Florida State or something, but right. I wasn't a very good student. I think I got a 1050 on my SATs, which is actually pretty respectable. Okay, and and they have to meet quota like in some state schools. Yeah. So back in Massachusetts, what's the uh... maybe BC or UMass? Okay. Or something like that. I That's fine. Been, like... Nothing wrong with those. Yeah. One has a song named after it from uh, the Breeders, I think, or the Oh, I don't know that one. Pixies, or and then the other one, uh, Gary Goldman never caught a football pass at. Right. Yes. So Gary Goldman is a BC alum. Yeah. So. Um, all right, so that's where you would have maybe gone to school, yeah. but who knows? I'm in the same boat, man. I, I only went to school for a, a couple years, and it was only because I had gotten a soccer scholarship. Oh, nice. And, and I broke my collarbone my freshman year, and then I was after that I was all in on music and was like, get me out of here. I want to go on tour. Right. And so I'm the same. So I left and never went back, and then my parents fronted me the cash to go to like a trade school yeah. so that I just get my chops back up from what I learned in radio at mm-hmm. the two years, three years I did spend. Well, right. two, we'll call them, we'll call it three just to make the parents happy because I'm pretty sure I didn't show up that third year at all. That's all right. They don't need to know. And, uh, and eventually found my way to, you know, to Sirius, to Sirius XM or whatever. But, but I, I tell them all the time, I'm like, guys, I could have went to Syracuse. That was like, I mean, now it's like $40,000, some crazy amount of money for yeah. a year. Who's paying for this stuff, man? Yeah, it seems like a bad investment. It I mean, really does. Which is funny because it makes me feel like I look smart. Because in two, this I graduated high school in two thousand. I was like, I'm not going to college, but now I feel like I look smart. I'm doing very well. Mm-hmm. I don't have any bills, no right. debt. Same and, here. Uh, no bills, no debt. Yeah, doing all right. Yeah, have fuck a great you, career. Sick resume. Yeah, <laughs> we did great. College is stupid, everybody. Yeah, but my my wife promised me to pre- pretend at least in the early stages, if we have a kid, that you know, like school and yeah, <laughs> yeah. To... But I, I think down the road it's going to be like a legitimately bad investment. I think I, it I seems think like. So. But but I don't know anything about anything. So you go to acting school. Yeah, for four weeks. Four weeks. Yeah, four week program, and uh, and what happens? What what's the net result here? Well, the main thing that happened that benefited me the most was I would go to the comedy cellar every night. So I just I mean I bought a ticket and the drink minimum. Not every sure. night, but I think I lived here for forty nights and I went there like seventeen times. That's inc- that's great. It's and incredible. It really benefited my comedy because I wasn't doing sets for that month because I was just well mainly because I was just drinking an idiot um but you're young man you were 22 23 yeah so i would just go to um the comedy cellar every night and i would see those lines and this is when Chappelle is when they were shooting season two so he would shoot all day and then come so he was coming almost every night and it would become he was working on what ended up being um the second special not killing him softly but um uh, what the hell is that I know I'm blanking called? too. We'll have a robot voice put in there. Uh, yeah. We're both tired. For what it's worth. Yeah, for what it's that's, a, that's um, it. So anyways, he was doing that stuff. And then it would be like Bobby Kelly and Colin Quinn and um, all those uh, Just the staples. Guys. Keith yeah. Robinson, Jim Norton. Yep. DePaulo was there. And that was before I knew Nick, mm-hmm. which is interesting because uh, we became pretty close. Um, 
and Robert, I'm friends with all those guys now, actually, that I just named, but uh, I didn't know any of them. So I would go and watch them every night and kind of get, and that was back in the cellar was doing okay, but not great. So it'd be one show that would just went for like six yeah, hours. Yeah, that's all pre-Louis, that's pre, yeah. you know, everybody coming as the tourist attraction-y type thing. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, and then it wasn't that much social media really going on that much either. So word hadn't really spread. There would be good crowds, but it would be one show. They would just go marathon, like on weekdays. Mm-hmm. So you'd go at 8 p.m. and stay till 2.30 in the morning. So and great. And Artie Fuqua would close every show. Yeah. So I would just watch like five hours of cellar comedy. So that really kind of benefited me stand-up-wise. And the acting thing was fun and neat. I was going to say, um, back to the actual school yeah. that you were supposed to be Sorry. attending. <laughs> so I went to school and uh, yeah, it was like we did some improv stuff and it was sure. fun. And uh, But a lot of it for me, I like acting and I respect acting, but a lot of it, it's just you realize you're more comedian than actor because it felt silly because we were we did like one of it was like a crash course it would be all day and they would mm-hmm. t- taught improv and they taught theater acting and we did Shakespeare and I remember the the Shakespeare guy was like a real like pretentious old nut and he made us go a horse a horse a kingdom for a horse and I just kept laughing and I was like I was probably hung over and I was like this is just silly I'm sorry and he was like did you ever have a friend that killed you killed himself and I was like uh, I think so I knew a guy that killed himself and he's like I want you to use it and I was just he was so silly I kept laughing at him I couldn't stop laughing and I was like I'm sorry and he's like you're never gonna make it in this business he was just an SNL character like like beyond it would, I, yeah, I thought the concept that, of what you thought this guy was yeah. Yeah, yeah sure I thought it'd be funny if he just kept yelling and all of a sudden his mustache just peeled off and <laughs> fell and I was like wait a minute that's Kurt Braunholer Kurt Braunholer oh, was my improv teacher what isn't that funny at that school at the school yeah that is fucking amazing yeah man. I love Kurt and it's so random yeah it's I've so bumped random. into him a couple times and been like you taught me improv uh, at New York Film Academy 14 years ago that's so funny was he just like all right <laughs> you know, like, I don't he... even I, He was like a nice guy And then yeah, I yeah, felt yeah. bad Because I had to have This weird moment Because one of the girls In the class was like How can you get him On SNL Like pointing to me And yeah, yeah. Ron was probably like Fuck you. you I'm not even on SNL You sons of bitches Oh my god What a great story But you know There's always like A sweet person That thinks you're funny That's like He should be on SNL Sure And I was like I'm not even That's not even what I do But thank you um, <laughs> Yeah why aren't you On Letterman again Yeah people would always so, yeah, do that. working on it guys You this should do HBO Yeah yeah sure uh, Dude that's incredible And uh, uh, even funnier because of the brown oiler thing. But uh, so here in the end, you got to where you needed to get to, which was the seller experience and yeah. just soaking it up mm-hmm. and really just engaging with comedy in such a really just, um, I don't know how to say it, just not even, not aggressive, but like just in a, you're in the trenches with those dudes down in the cellar. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, no holds barred. Yeah. What a great place. It's the best place uh, on earth. It's changed a lot, but it's still uh, it's still amazing. I mean, it's I just. St- a great I place. still think it has that. The, oh the grit, yeah. You know, at certain shows and stuff, it's not. Yeah, I was there a couple weeks ago. It was like New Year's Eve, 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 the 29th. The, uh, the, the penultimate New Year's. Yeah. Of- <laughs> so it was, it, and it was a great night. It was like Ari, Shaf- all my good buddies were hanging out. Ari Shafir was there and Greg Stone and Leonard Dutz and all these guys. And then Louie was there and Michael Che and Aziz. And uh, it was just like all these big acts and then like all these, you know, quote unquote, smaller acts that aren't as, but like are, are all hilarious people. And like every table, it feels like the scene in Goodfellas when they walk through and introduce everybody. Right. It's like, it's just comics everywhere. And like every table, you'd get up and go to this table and bullshit with a bunch of people. And then that table and Louis over there and you know, this celebrity drop-ins. And I ended up going on at like quarter to three in the morning. Jesus. Because it was one of those, my girlfriend was out of town. So I was like, I have no need to go home. So I'll just hang out all night. And Che had gone on and Louis and Aziz all did like pop-in sets. And so I just assumed I wasn't going on. 
because all those guys went on. So I was like, oh, I'm bumped. So I was hanging out like I wasn't going on. And then all of a sudden the manager's like, you're up. And I was like, I'm going on. She's like, yeah, yeah, you're the last spot. So I got off stage at like after three in the morning and they were hot. It was like a hot crowd. So it's like a special feeling. You're doing kind of like this irreverent humor in a basement in front of a brick wall at three in the morning. And it's still a place where people go to hear funny, weird shit. And, and I don't, you know, people who have never been there and especially people living acro- or listening across the country, I can't explain to you how small this room is. Yeah. Too. It's not like you're walking into a cool thing and it's this big room and there's hundreds of people there and it's yeah. kind of a legendary place. This is like, this is a basement. Right. Underneath, you know, uh, like a restaurant. Yes. And it's very tiny. Yeah. It, I think it seats I mean, like yeah, 125. What, yeah. What's capacity like when they really jam yeah. in there? It's like just over 100, right? Yeah. So, and it's it, packed in there. And it's really jammed in there. So uh, now I, I ask, uh, since this is the first time I'm having you on the Laugh Button podcast, I got to ask you about your, um, and we're talking about the seller and we should be celebrating is your, not audition, but like when you got passed, mm-hmm. like what was that experience for you? Like your, this is your audition set or you're going to go up and cause everyone seems to be like, yeah, man, this was my big night and Chris Rock dropped in and did 40 right, right before I went up and then it was a shit storm and yeah. somehow I still made it through. Right. You know, like, it, do you have a similar story to that or? You- well, my story is interesting cause I got passed twice. I got passed and then got bounced out of there and then. Uh, came back years later. So I got passed the first time when I moved to New York was April of 07. And uh, back then it was a lot less people were getting, fewer people worked there. And um, someone will probably correct me on that. Fewer, not less, right? I don't know. Whatever you want it to be. Uh, Well, fewer people worked there. Fuck school, right? Is that what we said earlier? Yeah, I did not (laughs) go to any college whatsoever other than the New York Film Academy to learn a horse, a kingdom for a horse, Um, which I don't even know what play that's from, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> Hamlet? Is that Hamlet? I have no idea what it is. Sure. King Richard. Asterix. I don't know what it is, but allegedly, um, <laughs> these are words will, that get thrown around a bunch. Yeah, someone will tweet at me. I'm sure. Maybe Macbeth. Who knows? Um, the King and I. Is that Shakespeare? I have no idea. Anyway, so a Midsummer Night's Dream is the only one I can name. So it might be something. <laughs> it's definitely not Romeo and Juliet. But anyways, so I was there in 07, and Nick DiPaolo uh, recommended me, and he had never recommended anybody before. So uh, Esty, the booker, called me. I wasn't even trying to get in there actively or anything. She just called and was like, hey, you must be special because Nick never recommended anybody. So come and audition, uh, which I think is pretty rare for her to call somebody. To be yeah, like, come. I was going to say this is fascinating. Yeah, so I went down there and I remember Rick Chrome was uh, emceeing and I had to go up to Sherrod Small who just like, oh wait, no, that's I'm getting ahead of myself. I forget who I went after in my audition, but I did five minutes. It went well because it's five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I got a spot like the next Sunday or whatever. At this point, I'd become buddies with Quinn and was close with Nick. And I had to go after Sherrod on my first spot. And Sherrod just kills. I mean, he kills and he's a pro. And that's like his home. He doesn't yeah, even that's, give a shit there. He lives there. Yep. So he just murders. And then I went up and uh, was nervous and like couldn't follow him. I was like shaking. I was like running out of material. I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. And it was not a strong set. It might, maybe it was better than I even remembered or realized, but I came upstairs and then Esty was like, how did it go? And I was like, not as good as I would have liked to. And she was like, Oh really? And then I told Colin that and he's like, never say that. He's like, what are you crazy? Just tell her it went great. Everyone was like, don't ever say that. And I never, I didn't get booked again. Uh, that was wow. my one and only book spot. <laughs> and man, and you threw out DePaulo to the pasture. Yeah. Like well, but I honestly, I just didn't belong. I had no TV credits. It was the first club I got. That should be like the last club you get passed at. Right. In the city. That's yeah. That's the king of the castle. Yeah. yeah. So it was just like all these like studs. It was you know Bobby Kelly and Norton and all these guys. And um, 
So I didn't work there for years. I put in avails for like a year, never got a spot, then just stopped. And so then it was back in February of 2013, which is almost four years ago now. I had just gotten sober and was like, I got to make my life. I got to make a go of it. And so I went back there and she remembered me, which is amazing. And I had to re-audition and it went great. And this time I had Gary Gullman recommend me and Bobby Kelly and like all these people like Amy Schumer was there. It was like an overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. And like Soder was there. Like by this point, all my peers are working there. So it was like, I, it was much more like I, I belong here, I felt. And uh, it went well, and I've been there ever since. So That's pretty incredible. And, and uh, I mean, so many things to spin that convo off onto. But uh, first, I got to say, you know, congrats on all the success with, with being sober. And I oh, know thanks. that's not an easy thing to pull off, but it's changed your life. And I feel like, uh, you know, if you drew a line in the sand and, and you looked at what's happened before and after... You know, it's starting to snowball pretty heavily for you. Like it's rolling down the hill and just shit's getting bigger for you, man. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I, that's totally what I do. It feels like I'm living a sequel to that life. And um, it's a rare sequel that's better. I guess The Godfather Part 2, maybe. Um, Back to the Future 2 is, hangs in there. It's strong. Gremlins 2. I, I, uh, I, I got my a, sequels. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Back to the Future 2 is where is better than 1, though. No, not better. Definitely not better. Right. But, but it's it's up there. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> I enjoy 3, to be perfectly honest Yeah, 3 is a lot of fun, too. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, it definitely feels like that line. And like it's weird because my life is definitely divided in that. I was like, mm-hmm. I was... Like, how long ago was that? I was like, well, I was drinking, so it was more than four years ago. Body, bibbity, but I don't know what that meant. But, uh, yeah, you can definitely... I think I that's an old improv game that you yeah. slipped in there from the New York Film Academy. Yeah. That, uh, like, that one day of power pressure they put on you yeah. with the improving. They call that bronholering. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's definitely a significant... And most all of my success... Most all? Uh, most of my success has come, certainly since i stopped drinking yeah well congrats on all that man and it's, i know it's not an easy thing to do but uh i hope just you're you're feeling healthier and just you, you know you have a clear mind and you know you know what your goals are and you're going after them and maybe it's just an easier path you know yeah so it you. works for hopefully everybody who decides to do that you know but some people who knows man yeah well definitely for everyone if you can pull it off it's definitely better there's an old saying nobody ever quits drinking and regrets it uh, I think there's a lot of people being like, ah, if only I kept <laughs> Continued abusing drinking. alcohol. Right. I um, would have died sooner. I yeah. think that's the only thing you could say. There. Yeah. Which, <laughs> who knows? We may want that. Uh, so, yeah. But. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, so uh, that dude, great story too about the cell and everything. That's, and, and it's a very unique experience because like you said, you, you had to kind of do it twice. Yeah. Which is weird. It's weird getting that nervous feeling of coming back to I'm like, I already fucking did this. Sure. Well, um, well, it takes us to your current state, which is uh, you're on the road with the uh, Guy who does all right, you know, he's, he's um, you know, he's been middling. He middled for yeah. a short period of time and then quickly. Very short. Yeah. Uh, he's, look, man, he's on the top of the food chain when it comes to comedy. Uh, Louis C.K. And, and, and you and, and a bunch of other people, because it's, it's really cool. He takes a bunch of comics and he, you know, we're at Madison Square Garden. We'll have three openers and, and yeah. you've been one of those. And so talk about how that's all kind of come to fruition and, and what that ride's been like, because that's a unique one. And. And, yeah. uh, you know, not that what you already were doing, it wasn't great, but, you know, when you walk out and see an audience of, a sold out audience at Madison Square Garden, it's a little bit different than the seller. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot different, <laughs> but it's also uh, staggeringly the same from a performance standpoint, uh-huh. which is what I love about stand-up comedy. The performance from the garden is almost exactly the same as the performance from the seller. It's the same words kind of movements. Sure. But, um, yeah, it's been 
unbelievable. It's the most insane experience of my life. But it ha- started at the cellar. He was just happened to come downstairs. Was like sitting on the steps. Luckily, I didn't see him. He was just back around the corner at the cellar while I was on stage. Because if I had known he was there, I might have been more anxious or nervous or whatever. But I just had like this great. It was like a magical thing. Cause I had this great set, and it was like, wow, that was killer. And then I walked out, and then Louis was standing there, and he was uh, he quoted like one of my jokes back to me, and. He was like, is that a new joke? And I, he's like, is that like an old classic? And I was like, oh, no, it's new. And he's like, oh, wow. He's like, that's a killer. And I was like, oh, thanks. And um, it was like a great set. Was that the first time? No, you'd known him before that, right? You, were, you no, at least interacted was, with him before that or no? I had kind of maybe bumped into him or he would be at the table or he would walk by or something, but not really. I had an interaction with him when he shot Chewed Up. He put on the uh, the comedy studio in Harvard Square. He used to have a website or still does have a website called the Kvetch Board. It was like a chat room for comedians. And he posted, does anybody want to go to the taping? I have extra tickets. And oh, I cool. responded. And he's like, okay, here you go. So I actually had free tickets from Louis C.K. to Chewed Up. So I was at his taping of Chewed Up. And I was at his most recent special taping um, introducing him, which is pretty amazing also. Um, so I've been to two tapings, one in the audience and one part of the program it's pretty cool man yeah so that was the only interaction i had so he kind of uh was like really complimentary and then he came upstairs and started chatting me up and i said i'm from boston and um we have similar sort of origin stories we both kind of started uh right out of high school and you know no college went to 18 and started in boston and we came up with a lot of the same people that were there Mm -hmm. like we have different peers but like those boston headliners were the same people we were kind of came up underneath or whatever and um, we kind of just chatted, and then he, Louis, just has, as all the really best comedians do, has his ear to the to the, ground, to the yeah. scene or whatever. Yeah. Like he knows everybody. And then I saw him a couple months later, and he was like, "Hey, you do, you, you do the podcast with Mark Norman, right?" So like, I was like, "Uh, yeah." So he like knows about podcasts and stuff, and he's brought up like people's sketches and stuff to me. He's like, "Have you ever watched that guy's web series?" And I'm like, "So he knows what's going on. He loves comedy. He cares about it." And then um, I got an email asking to open for him uh, at the Hamptons last Thanksgiving, which uh, this is a crazy story that I've told a couple places, but I opened for him Friday night in East Hampton. And then Saturday, he texted me and was like, hey, do you want to come out on my boat? Um, So he took Sarah, my fiance, and I out on his boat for the day. And this is like, now Louis, before I met him, was my my idol. I think he's the best comedian. I think he's like a genius. I love Mm -hmm. the show. Like It's like uncomfortable how much... I admire and respect the guy. So this, I'm like on his boat just being like, this is fucking insane. I'm like trying to be cool. But also he's like... Yeah, did you text back to, yeah, sounds great. Or I wrote nope. back, I was like, we would love to. Let me see if to. I can fit it in. Or Yeah, yeah I don't make any... Um, I, or now, I mean, we've become like close friends. So sure. like, but at the time, I don't try to make any act cool. I'm like, fucking, are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to. This is insane. Thanks You're so much. You're just you. That's our love. Yeah. That. I love that. Yeah. So, and uh, I'm just like, boy, this is amazing. We ended up going to his house and watching all these old, like, uh, Richard Pryor videos and stuff. He was on YouTube. Like, he's like, watch, this is Richard Pryor with fucking Dick Van Dyke in some interview. And I'm like, this is crazy. And we were watching, like, Eddie Murphy Raw. We spent the day together, me, him, and Sarah, and it was amazing. And then he dropped me off, off the boat, back to my hotel. And I started to feel sick. And Sarah was like, well, maybe it's from the boat. And I was like, no, I spend a lot of time on boats. I've never been seasick whatsoever. Also, it's flat out here. Like, I'm definitely not that. And then I remembered she had had, like, a food poisoning norovirus thing, like, two days earlier. Uh. And immediately I was like, that's it. I got the fucking thing you had. 
and it must have mutated because I had it a hundred times worse. The uh, most sick I've ever been in my life. Brutal. So I had to call Louie and be like, dude, I'm, I'm sick. I can't make it. to the." I tried to make it. I was like, I think I can do it. I can do like 10. And he's like, don't come anywhere near me. I don't want you near me. <laughs> and then he ended up texting me and going, don't worry, Louis C.K. I mean, uh, he goes, Jerry Seinfeld took your spot. Seinfeld <laughs> was out there because he has a place in the Hamptons, of course. Right. So he came to the show and ended up doing time in front of me in my play. It would have been me, Jerry, and Louis. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And uh, But he said, he's like, I'll make it up to you because I missed the show. And then he ended up come May, which is when this tour started. He asked me to open for him in Baltimore, which is the first dates of the tour. And I've been on basically every date since we went to Europe. It's been insane. Wow, that's awesome. What a cool path to get there, too. Yeah. And But I could hear him. Uh, oh, I can just hear him <laughs> off off phone or off mic or whatever. Uh, yeah, don't come anywhere near me. Yeah. Hey, can you scrub the boat? You know, <laughs> yeah. just scrub the boat. Oh, yeah, it, totally. I scrub mean, it, the boat. I felt, we, were, we were so petrified. I was like, I, if he gets sick, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. I would be so fucking bummed out. Just imagine it mutated again and then like Louis died. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I just <laughs> killed like, him. His like, last what was show running ever through was, your brain? <laughs> his last show ever was in East Hampton. Um, but yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then I would bump into him again at the cellar a couple times. And then like he would text me and be like, hey, do you want to do these shows? And mm-hmm. um I've been fortunate. I've been on every day, or been asked to do every day. A couple of them I couldn't do because I had whatever sure. uh, other work. But it's really cool because you've been able to do this alongside, you know, Norman, Mark Norman, who's yeah. a great friend, and obviously your podcast partner with Tuesdays of Stories, and and it's an awesome. You guys are crushing every time, man. It's oh, like, thanks. Uh, I I personally, it sounds weird to say, but I don't listen to too many podcasts because I just don't have time. Yeah, you know, because you're bu- either busy making them or you're, you know, I'm doing whatever, and it's the only one that I consistently listen to. Oh wow! Oh, that so, makes me feel great. I yeah, man, it's it. it's because it's something really unique and it's a cool perspective. And uh, I personally, I, I feel the same towards you and Mark as as you do towards Louis. It's oh, just you thanks. two. You're oh. two of my all time faves here in the city, and I just enjoy what oh, you guys I appreciate do. So, it. You know, um, you know, so congrats on all the success of that too. You know, uh, Tuesdays of Stories is, is a great podcast and, and it's cool that you get to share those moments and then talk about it, but then also share the, the Louis experience. So one doesn't have to punch the other. Right. You, you know what I mean? Or, uh, you know, I don't know if things ever get weird, you know, but you know, comics are comics and it's, uh, is it, you know, you guys are such good friends, but is it ever like, yeah, I got one over on him kind of. And then, and then the other guy gets, ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't like in a, in a fun jest way. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I can't speak for Mark. I mean, uh, but I don't think so. I mean, we'll both have really amazing things, uh, happening in our lives. And, um, I, what's sobriety helped me in sobriety a lot is to not worry about what anyone else is doing and then being grateful for what you have. Mm -hmm. And, um, the thing, the dates that were cool with Mark, because he came and then you're like, this is my favorite person to hang out with. So like during the day, it's like we had like the most fun, the episode of our podcast that came out the day that we're recording this Hmm. was just, we were in DC together for four days and we both agreed on the way home. We're like, this is the best comedy week of our lives. It's insane. And we're like, uh, it's fun to have somebody to kind of help you. Like, it's like pinching you like, Oh my God, this is insane. Right. You know, cause Keep when you're you by yourself, level. you're just sure. kind of like, ah, well, whatever. And then, um, I had been doing all these dates, but and Mark had his own relationship with Louie, but he wasn't doing the dates. So it helps to have him come in and be like, this is crazy. We're on the plane. And you're like, yeah, this is crazy. Holy shit. I forgot. I mean, you don't forget, but we were talking about this off air or whatever you get, very accustomed to a way of doing that so i'm like oh here we are getting on this airplane again uh, it's been because the tour's been seven months long or whatever 
But there's moments where I'm like, what am I talking about? This is insane. I want a fucking jet talking to Louis C.K. Like equals. He's listening to me like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I'm like, this is fucking nuts. So it's been great. And there's been a lot of other people. We Joe Mackey and Rachel Feinstein did Europe together. And it was fun to get to know them. And Emma Willman just did some shows. Todd Barry. I mean, uh, not Todd Barry. Todd Glass. I confuse their names all the time. Much <laughs> different people, by the way. Yeah, very um, different people. Yeah. And uh, I got to be friends with Todd and get to know him. And he's such a fucking yeah, great guy. Yeah, he's a guy. riot, man. Todd Glass. Todd Barry's a piece of shit. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, obviously. I'm buddies with Todd as well. Um, and I love him. And... Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just kind of became buddies with Todd Glass, and uh, it's been. Uh, was amazing. he adjusting light bulbs at all? Like while you're on. That's what he does. Yeah, that's see. his thing. Yeah, he's uh, his He's Todd Glass's passionate man. for ambiance is yeah. is contagious and uh, heartwarming. Every time I've worked with that guy, hung out with him, just you know, had dinner, whatever. Have been, it's it becomes about the light bulb situation. Yeah. No, and, it's amazing. Uh, he will re make adjust some adjustments. all the furniture. Yep. Yeah. And he so, travels with candles and gels, like light gels. And, so um, great. <laughs> so great. But it, it's amazing. God, I love comedians. They're the best. Yeah. <laughs> He's really fun. And it really, you're like, it opens your mind to things that you didn't notice before. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah that's a good idea. It isn't, this is much better. Yeah. You're not crazy. Yeah. This is better. Yeah. I'm now going to do this on my own. And if there's not a lamp, he'll take out, if it's like, um, whatever, ceiling lighting, like that fluorescent light, he'll get up and just start taking those out to make it a better uh, lighting. He's he's pretty amazing uh, guy. And his I just like people that are passionate for anything, not sure. anything, but people that are passionate most about things. Uh, Yeah, let's things. say most things. It's a good, um, good save. Uh, yeah, I mean, Nazis are passionate about, you know, horrible things Jews or whatever. Um, but yeah, he... Um, his his passion is uh, inspiring and contagious, and also one of the funniest people I've ever met. Yeah, he's got great stories too. Now, did did he uh, annoy you with his Phil Donahue impression at any point? No, I didn't get any Phil Donahue oh, yeah. impressions. And next time you hang with him, ask for the old All Phil right. Donahue. He'll give it to you. It's great. I will it's, for it's, sure. It's really Definitely. good. Um, all right, so uh, one other direction I wanted to spin was the DePaulo relationship you have, because yeah. I remember uh, this moment while I was still in air at Sirius, um, and you were opening for DePaulo, I believe, and and you came up in conversation, and and he was like, oh, that's right, that reminds me. Maybe you remember this, maybe you don't. I got to call Joe to, to get his goddamn car out of my driveway. <laughs> do, do you remember your car breaking down at some point, and, and you didn't have enough triple a distance miles or something to get it all the way home and you needed to like leave it in his driveway yes or am i misremembering this well something like that no i think i wanted to put it in his driveway i think that's what might have happened he was okay. like oh i gotta let him put the car in the driveway because that was a thought at one point my car was broken down and triple a would take it a hundred miles right and I, my thought was to take it to nick's house and I was like, I've known Nick for years. We're good friends. We're like, <laughs> right. we have a father-son relationship. This is a perfect fix. And then my parents will just drive to his house and get it. And I was like, hey, what do you, what do you say? I leave my car. And he's like, for how long? What? What, do you fi- what the fuck is this? And I was like, oh, all right. Never mind. Just totally never mind. So maybe the moment you had was him being like, ah, shit, I should let him. Yeah, maybe it was. Car. I mean, I think he did. He probably talked to his wife and she was like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like let him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, Nick is the best. And, yeah, he's um, great. He's funny. Man. But yeah, I do remember the response was like, what? 
And I was like, oh, that's not how I thought this was going to go. Maybe it was like right in that thought process. Because I think we might have even called you or tried to call you on Oh, air. interesting. And, uh, and we're like, hey, we got to get to the bottom of this. Let's get you on the phone here. Let's oh, see if that's we can funny. work this out. Oh, maybe I, maybe I missed the, uh, the call. But I ended up, my, my parents just ended up, or my dad and his buddy came down and picked it up in like a U-Haul parents fucking trailer or whatever. Making the save again, man. Oh, they're wonderful, wonderful people. That's and, so uh, great. I should someday. I should just give them fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, everything. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> just give uh, them everything. Um, but uh, yeah, really cool. So, so here you are. The the Louis. Um, how much how much longer do you have on the on the Louis tour? How many shows are left? Do you, do you know, like, well, is it a single count or is it is it? The thing it with keeps Louis adding. The thing with Louis you know? kind of makes it uh, frustrating at times is that he's able to sell ten thousand tickets in two hours. Right. So all of a on sudden they'll just a be a show and yeah. go. Uh, all right, Toronto when. We had Toronto Thursday in the books, and I was like, all right, Toronto on Thursday. And then on, like, Monday, he's like, Toronto Tuesday as well. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, or whatever, Wednesday. So he'll just add dates, and I think that he shortened the tour, and then he put it back on again. That's what's amazing about being able to sell that amount of tickets. Flexibility, too, at the venues. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, I guess they're not going to not hold it for They're going to go, hey, yeah, do you yeah, want yeah. a million dollars, or do you not? <laughs> um, right. So uh, I think he added a few dates, but mostly it's in March. Um, okay, but, but he's yeah. he's obviously capable of just. I mean, God, could you even imagine just being able to dictate your schedule like that? Because you're, you're on the opposite end, which is you're in a great position to be like, yeah, yeah, sure, Toronto again, fine, Wednesday, right. I'm good to go, right? I'd love to do it, um, you know. But could you imagine being on the other side of the coin and you're just like. Hey, uh, honey, you know, hey, Sarah, how do you feel about Toronto on Thursday? Sure, it's, great. It's amazing, yeah, and um, the ability to um, fly private and do an arena is just amazing, and um, and he's just it's unbelievable. And by the way, uh, so such a fucking generous guy. He doesn't get uh, the ink, as they say. We did a show in North Carolina. He donated the entire uh, gate or money, whatever, to the LGBTQ. It was like one hundred eighty-one thousand dollars. I'm glad you said that because and nobody talked about yeah, it. Yeah, no one talks about uh, what he does. I mean, look, we, we can go on and on about what he does for comics because yeah. he's always paying it forward. And like you say, he's got his ear to the ground and he's trying to help the next, right. whoever the next Louis going to be. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and those stories are the stories that you would wish got out there a little bit more and they just don't. Yeah, it's pretty amazing whatever because reason. Um, that's such an insane thing. And a lot of people were boycotting North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then Performing Louis there, tried yeah. to reach out to some of those people and say, why don't we perform here and then donate the money? That's more effort because a lot of the people that are coming to the shows... You know, Bruce Springsteen's fans, most of them are not anti-gay. So you right. have like, you're just making people suffer. Uh, like now they can't come see you. pro yeah, yeah. the cause. So Louis did the show. And a lot of those people probably are fucking, you know, uh, homophobic. Not Maybe not a lot, but maybe some. Hey, you're taking their money and you're giving it right back yeah, to them. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, so yeah. it's even better. And then he talked about it. And um, so, yeah, that's uh, almost a quarter of a million dollars. And then we did another show in St. Louis. Um, we've added a bunch of club shows after the big theater arena shows. And that was a show um, he was like, we should give it to charity. Who should we give it to? And my buddy Greg Warren is from St. Louis. So I texted mm-hmm. him. And I said, what charity? And he was with his buddy. He's like, I'm sitting with my buddy. His brother has Down syndrome. There's St. Louis Down syndrome, whatever the charity was. And Louis went, perfect, great, give it to them. So that was like a few thousand dollars, too, that didn't get any press whatsoever. And then also, I just walked around Portland with him, and he was just handing out $20 bills to everybody that asked for help or for money. So I feel like um, those are things that people... Because people come down on him sometimes for whatever he says. Meanwhile, he's out giving hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, not to mention he must pay a 
ridiculous amount in taxes as well. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but you know what though? I think that you know, and and it sucks because this is the world we live in now. Is it stems from wanting to bring things down? You yeah, know, when they a, get to, it's like, wait, you were the first one there to help it get there, right? And then you're like, yeah, but you know what? He's probably kind of a douche. Yeah. You know, like wherever that stems from. Right. Like, what are you talking Why? Yeah, our what culture loves about? to tear people down. Yeah, and, I don't uh, get that. It's very And, and uh, you know, if, I, you know, I don't, I'm not, it's weird. Until I moved to New York City, I never really cared about politics. I grew up in a small town in Ohio. My parents were very liberal. They were very like, hey man, you know. Yeah. Life's going to come at you in funny ways. Just go after what you want. Make the best of it. You know what I mean? They were very yeah. just cool and chill about everything. But my town was very divided, you know, and very weird. And when I got older, I understood, like, oh, my God, I grew up in a really weird, weird part of town. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, and, right. and now I see it even more living in New York City. But it's so undeniable now yeah. that, that you can't. Like, I remember when I moved here 15, 16 years ago and I walked out of that subway for the first time. I almost got run over by 100,000 people marching for whatever. I was like, oh, this is where the shit goes down. Right, this is where right. this stuff goes down. And and then you know you become aware and then you like, then you ask yourself what you truly believe in and then all of a sudden you're fact checking yourself and you're like okay this is what makes me tick this is what I believe okay yeah I support that whether I'm doing it in everyone's face or not but now it's to the point where it's like like my heart was destroyed you know yeah a couple of days ago yeah and then immediately the next day you know when it came March time for yeah the March, I'm like and now we're healing up you yeah, know yeah. it's like. But it's this this back and forth of like I can't take it. Right, right. Like today is another shitstorm. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wild, and uh, I don't know. You just gotta try to live your best life and not be part of the problem and uh, contribute in the ways you can, I guess. Yeah. And uh, and I get to the point where I'm like, well, I just hope. I mean, I'm not a praying guy, but I'm like, I'll do everything I can within my power to live my best life, and like I said, not contribute to uh, the problems, and then just hope. That I'm okay. <laughs> that yeah. people are all right. Yeah, I mean, it's, ultimately, uh, it's out of all of our hands. At, yeah. you know, at some point, but. it's a it's a bizarre um, feeling, but um, we'll see. It's going to be uh, interesting, I guess. But uh, sure. Well, I, I bring it up because I've been asking, you know, everyone lately, because this is a climate we live in, and how this is going to affect comedy, right? You know, we we it, politics has been something that comedians have been making fun of for years, or mm-hmm. or. No matter what side of the coin you're on, right? Yeah. You know, we could talk about a DePaulo and we can talk about a you, you know? Right. And so, um, but we're now at the point where, like, the president is actively watching Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And commenting on it. And do you think, do you, how do you feel? Do you think it's ever going to get to the point where he affects art and makes it? I don't know. I don't want to say things like illegal, but you just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, Is it going to get to that dangerous territory of like people are going to have to start apologizing for stuff or I don't know. You can't talk about the president or you get thrown in jail. I mean, this happens in other countries. This isn't right. A it's new interesting. Concept. It's interesting, though, because I mean, a lot of um, like this, this coming out and demanding apology and offensive stuff comes from the left as well, which is crazy. A lot of that with that person, he should be fired for writing that and saying that about whatever and so now it's like so much of that has come from the left and now trump is like this weird sensitive so now it's like coming from the right and people in power actually in power yeah and so uh it's definitely fascinating interesting i mean him just calling out like literally like a singling out a, a guy that uh like a some union guy that happened a few weeks ago he was like this is his name and he's a terrible uh union it's, it's very uh 
interesting and scary. But I think there's going to be very quickly more blowback towards Trump. I mean, only 25% of registered voters voted for the guy. He's got like a 32% approval rating coming into his office. I think that... Um, yeah, those Rotten Tomato signs are hilarious. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, his approval rating versus like Paul Blart and Malcolm yeah, or something. Yeah, that was great. And, and Kevin James, I love the dude, you know, but and whatever you think of that movie, but it's right. just very funny. No, no, it was great. But so I think there's going to be wild uh, blowback towards it and people will... I mean, he's, he and his supporters are in the minority um, significantly, I think, but I, I don't know. It's it's scary. I mean, this girl right now, as we're talking, is in trouble. Katie Rich, who tweeted that thing, which... That yeah, t- that, about his son, yeah. That joke to me is, first of all, it's a funny joke, and it's not even about the kid, and I don't think that anyone is actually offended. That's what bothers me. They're yeah. like, that's offense. You're not offended. You are not offended. You just want a gravy train it. You yeah, just want to be yeah. outraged. There's yeah. no way... You're not like this... <gasps> Oh my god! Like it's just crazy. Like if someone, if I was, like, if someone was like, "Your mother's a fucking cunt." I mean, I can picture being like, "What? That's my mother." I, I'm offended by what you. This is like you're just not. You're not offended. You just you, you probably be didn't angry. even know that person was in existence until the inauguration. Exactly. I it's, didn't know that guy was there. It's crazy. Yeah. And like, and the joke is again not, not even making fun of the kid. And I just, I, I hate that shit. And uh, maybe SNL is like got corporate you know sponsorship or whatever but the fact that yeah but isn't that going against kind of what they've been doing this whole time which is straight up just ripping the dude and that's you know, what free reign me. on destroying this guy and and uh, and you saw the dan Harmon news too right that, no that dan Harmon offered her a job oh no i didn't yeah, see it was that just like all right well you want a job i got you oh that's great yeah, yeah so you know obviously comedy comes to save comedy but but uh yeah well and also trump is the guy that made fun of this handicapped writer he's like Duh! he's literally doing that oh no no i offensive. was just showing it's just well, it's, yeah i know it's uh, it's just absurd and then it, it's frustrating because snl is supposed to be this like counterculture like mm-hmm. rock and roll show and now they're like suspending this girl for a tweet. A tweet. I mean, think about how funny that is and silly that is. And how many people follow her that even knew she wrote on Saturday Night Live or or vice versa? Right. Right. Did you even know she was a writer on SNL? I've never I never heard of this woman in my life, but I thought the joke was funny. And the joke is making fun of uh, Donald and Melania, not right. the kid to me. And uh, it's just they're not actually offended. Anyone in their right mind reads that and goes, uh huh. You know what I mean? Like I always, my parents are always my barometer. First of all, they don't even know this story exists. Yeah, that's like a, it's like a small percent of the country is actually aware of this. But even if they did, they'd go, oh, uh, yeah, I guess I don't know. I'm not into it. Whatever. Like nobody gives a fuck. Nobody with actual fucking uh, problems or uh, I don't know. It's just it's it's silly. So hopefully we'll be fine. I don't know. But it's been going on as long as I mean Lenny Bruce was arrested and yeah. blah 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 and the FCC and Eddie Murphy came under fire. So it's all been going on for a long time and um, Yeah, I just feel I mean, whatever. We're living through it. You know, I didn't live through Lenny Bruce, but like it just some feels different. Yeah, it's scary. Well, it's also the public outrage and everyone has yeah. a voice now and I think it bums me out that she apologized. I wish the people just wouldn't apologize and just yeah. Let, once you apologize yeah. once, you gotta apologize every time. Uh, Lisa Lampanelli told me a great story about that because she was on Celebrity Apprentice, uh-huh. and she had said something you know that NBC didn't have a liking to, and she was banned from NBC and everything. And and I was like, well, I don't know. Do you make up? Do you just say I'm sorry? What? She's like, no, because if I apologize, I gotta apologize for everything I've ever said. Right. And I'm not doing that. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing and. Um, I don't know. And it all, it's all fucking fake. It just yeah. goes away. Like yeah, it just, it it's, if you just ride it out for a few days, uh, but I'm also terrified of it too. Cause I hate people being mad at me and our podcast is outrageously irreverent. So I'm always afraid they're going to pull up 
I mean, we've talked about. I love how subtle, you, subtly you just described your podcast. You know, it's outrageously irreverent. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just, crazy. <laughs> you know, but it's casual at times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we're, I mean, we, we, oh, we man. respect and uh, and the idea that people understand when we're joking, and right, when we're not, right. and uh, hopefully, sure. I mean, people should. Uh, they're they're jokes. The idea that this tweet, like, oh, school shootings are, yeah, they're terrible. This is a tweet about a fucking possible. Like, this is not. And that's funny because people get outraged, but you're like, but they do nothing to change the laws that allow you to fucking just buy, just load up on guns. Sure. Um, or tweet for that matter. Yeah. And it's just <laughs> like, it's just hilarious. Yeah. So it's like, we're outraged that you made this joke, but definitely you should still be able to buy fucking assault rifles and bring them to schools and shoot oh, everybody. Oh man. Well, let's bring it back, Joe. Let's yeah. To, sorry. No, no, no. no it's, yeah. I don't want to send you down that path, but By I way, did I, want to get your perspective. You I know? did a short quote of, uh, smells like teen spirit. I load up on guns. Can, can bring I tell your you, friends. can I tell you, I was going to point that out and I was, I was just going to be like, Hey, I was going to put some Nirvana on because <laughs> you nailed it. It's fun to lose um, and pretend. God, um, like how ingrained is that in our brain? Like that you could just say it and like, you're automatically I'm already playing the drums yeah, yeah it, you know I'm already <laughs> it's interesting um, yeah that was probably somewhere in my yeah in my brain subconscious to say, waiting, waiting to come out um, oh and that, and that song was 20 it, 1990 91 91 here's a crazy here? fact real quick I know you want to get back on track no here, no no I read this and it's amazing to me want to be on. Uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit came out a longer I don't know how to word this properly longer period ago, of time ago yeah longer ago than then Revolver was from Smells Like Teen Spirit. More time has passed between from now the Beatles and Smells Like Teen Spirit than had passed between Revolver coming out and Smells Like Teen Spirit. Wow. That's that's a fascinating fact. And I think about it all that time because, uh, you know, you're around my age and, and like I didn't... You know, I remember when Led Zeppelin came out, but I know who they are and stuff. Right. And and they're this mythical creature that I can go and revisit them, but it's from a time period I did not exist on this earth. Yeah. So it might as well be a million years ago. Right. Right? But... Uh, you know, if I see a kid today walk down the street with um, a, a Nirvana shirt on, I'm thinking, yeah. like, you guys don't know. And I'm thinking, <laughs> like, first of all, why am I being a jerk about it? Yes. Second of all, there was less time between Led Zeppelin coming out in my birth right. than there was about whatever they're into that I'm, like, angry that's yeah. belonged to me or whatever. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's funny to think in those terms. Yeah. One, one more thing I just had. I was, I was talking to Louie about this, which I think is weird. I remember seeing... Monty Python, The Holy Grail, and it blew my mind. It was the right. funniest thing I'd ever seen. But it was like this old, grainy movie. I was like, this movie is this, this old, old classic. And I probably first watched it in 90, 91. Mm -hmm. And it came out, I think, in 78. So that's 13 years. So that's like a kid talking about a movie from 2003. Right. It's like a kid going, you, you got to see... That's fucking that's old after school zoolander. that's yeah. after zoolander came yeah. out <laughs> it's like some kid being like this old old movie it's this wild classic it's called old school <laughs> and it's just very strange to me um but yeah uh, and well y the, you know it's it's weird because they have so much uh, better access right know, to things so so they can like i could see how old school would be just available at any moment in time right. where it's like you had to get the mythical VHS dub that right, right. your friend had. And it's like, we're all going over to Tim's house and we're going to watch yes. Monty Python. That's right. It's going to be nuts. Um, so, yeah. Uh, not to quote another musical artist, but the times they are changing. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> so uh, getting back to what's happening now and stuff that's not going to go away, which is you and Mark Norman and your awesome podcast, Tuesdays with Stories. So make sure you, you know, I want you to plug that and really yeah. just ha look, when you start something, you don't know if it's going to last right and and this has and and has it really stuck to what 
you guys wanted it to be in the beginning and, and seeing it morph over time and how willing you guys are to be as far as openness and the stories you do tell and, yeah. you know, the things that do happen. Are you happy with, you know, you, you take a step back for a moment? Because you guys have been doing it for a while now. This isn't uh, yeah, not quite like a you while. started it this year. Yeah, three and a half years, I think, and uh, every week, basically. And um, yeah, I love it. I love the show. I mean, it sounds funny, but like, I really love it. I enjoy it. I mean, I listen to it occasionally, not very, usually we just say things and I don't remember anything we said, but it's fun. And uh, Mark makes me laugh harder than anybody else. And uh, we have some like a lot of fans that are like really loyal and like nice and like thoughtful and come out to shows and give us gifts and say nice things. And um, but yeah, the, originally the show has changed because now it's basically just me and him and uh, being silly. But I the original idea of it was I had this I had the idea for Tuesdays with Stories years ago and it was going to be a real thing, not a show. It was about like just getting comedians together at a diner on Tuesdays because a lot of people were traveling on Mondays because it's Sunday shows. We'd all get together on Tuesday and everyone just talks about their weekend where they right. worked. And so I wanted to actually physically do it, but it's so hard to get comedians together and make plans. So then when podcasts became a thing, I was like, I'll make it a podcast instead. And Mark was the only person I could see co-hosting it because he's just so funny and uh, we have the Seinfeldian connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the show is a huge tribute to Seinfeld. I always joke, there's probably a lot of people that haven't seen the TV show Seinfeld and if they watched it, they'd be like, wait a minute. Um, yeah, some 14-year-old whippersnapper right now discovering comedy. Yeah. It's like, oh, I gotta go by- back and watch their Monty Python, which is Seinfeld. Right, and they would just watch the show and be like, these guys are doing that, those guys. I mean, we obviously have our own thing and we make it a lot dirtier. But um, <laughs> but anyway, so that the idea of the show was to have two or even three comics on and we would all catch up and then um, slowly kind of... we ended up doing an episode with just the two of us and it was fun and we it started to become more and more just the two of us but right we definitely knew we wanted it to be pure funny and not really as much a getting to know you or whatever but like uh just jokes we want it to be funny and and silly and like i said hopefully um we've had a few people get offended or whatever but most people we've kind of weeded them out and uh it's people that are get it and understand and uh yeah, I love it. I'm proud of it, and I enjoy it. It's a very cool thing. And so uh, what else is coming our way from you? What Are, are you any back, uh, back-end stuff? Because obviously the Louis thing's been going on, like you said, for months and months. So yeah. has that allowed you to really hone in on anything on your own? No, not really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, just working on a new... My album is out. It came out in uh, July or August. It came out while I was on tour. My album was number one at one point while I was opening for Louis, which was fun. Pretty cool. Um, and he was introducing me by saying that, which was really neat. Um, but um, yeah, that's out there. Are you mad at me? And I have a new act I've sort of developed. I have like a new 45 or 50 that will hopefully become a special or an album or some sort. And um, I just got a new website up there, comedianjoelist.com, finally. And um, the podcast is every week. And yeah, so live dates and all that stuff. And yeah, basically the podcast and the live shows and the sure. album and stuff. Cool. Well, we always appreciate the time. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I got to say, this is this podcast thing is just an excuse so I can hang out with my friends and comedians and stuff, fun. you know, because I just want to catch up and, and make sure everyone's still doing all right, man, and finding ways to help. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, congrats on all the success. Much continued success. And, and uh, it's always a pleasure to see you, Joe. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, it was a blast. Yeah. I appreciate your time. Cool. Cheers. All right. That was Joe List. You feel like you learned something? Yeah, great interview. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, so yeah, so that'll kind of wrap things up. We uh, yeah, we want to thank you for uh, for listening to the podcast. Uh, it means um, a lot to us. If you're a fan, tell a friend, subscribe, write a review because it helps with our Amazon our iTunes ranking, which would be dope. 
if you see their phone like uh, lying around, just uh, you know subscribe to the podcast. For <laughs> you them. know what? Let's do that. Any of our diehard fans, just like pick up like your girlfriend's phone, or your boyfriend's phone, or your mom's phone, or your sister's, your brother's, whomever's phone. Just subscribe to our podcast. It'll be like a fun prank that pays off. In yeah, dividends. basically. And then so yeah, so write reviews because reviews really help. And then on on iTunes, it helps with our ranking, it helps us show up. So definitely tell a friend. Uh, everything we've built so far has just been like word of mouth, people telling other people, fans of our podcast uh, listening. When we when we go out live and see and do live shows, like for example, like when we did a Stephen Lynch presents, everyone there like there was so many people there. They're like, oh, I love the podcast. Oh, you're Matt. Oh, you're Mark. Oh, you well, you weren't there, Bram, so they didn't say I'm you. I'm not Mark. <laughs> I'm not Mark. But uh, so there's a lot of that. So it's really awesome to see like the you know this community that we're like you know, we're slowly building over here happen and become a thing. So uh, so yeah, so go to the leftbutton.com, read all. Of our headlines, our news, and all the interviews we have going on there. We've got so much stuff lined up for the future. Uh, in the socials, anywhere you can type in the laugh button, you'll find us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Carrier Pigeon, Snaps, Smoke ch- Signal, Snaps the Chat, WhatsApp. All right, that joke gets old. I gotta, we gotta, we gotta figure out a new joke to kind of uh, end this thing. So, uh, on behalf of Brand Titleman from MetalInsider.net, yes, that's another thing. If yeah. you like, uh, you know, the heavy stuff, MetalInsider.net, MetalInsider on all the socials. Um, if you want terrible puns that I uh, <laughs> enjoy making, it's Bram Filter at Twitter. That's <laughs> I, my pun suppository. And I and I can I can I can account I can uh, vouch for that. That is one hundred percent a pun a pun depository on Twitter. If you want Twitter puns, Bram, no one is better than Bram. So Bram Filter, Bram, but Bram but Bram the laugh button first. Yeah, go to Bram. then Metal Insider, then Bram Filter. Yeah, there you go. How about in that order? And you, I am Kleinschmidt. Yeah, you can that. find me personally. At I am Kleinschmidt. It is funny that I get followed more and more each day by people, and and I'm like, who's this? Oh, they're probably a subscriber or a fan, or they're just really hot chicks that want to meet me in my locals in my local area. That's what oh, it is. Really? Yeah, them them Twitter spams, buddy. Spams. <laughs> exactly. So uh, on behalf of Bram Titleman, I'm Matt Kleinschmidt with the Laugh Button Podcast. We'll catch you later. See you. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.